minutes on the letter Y and as it stands for youth. He spoke another 15 minutes about how the A in Yale stands for ambition. He spoke another 15 minutes of what the L stood for is leadership. And he spoke another 15 minutes about how the E stands for energy. After this long message, everyone was bored to tears from the message. And as the bishop was finishing the message that morning, a student came down and knelt at the altar of prayer. And the bishop was so impressed and he comes to the young man and he says, Son, what was it that my message moved you so much to come to the altar? The student told the bishop, he said, Sir, I was just thanking God this morning that we don't go to Massachusetts Institute of Technology. You'll get that about 2 o'clock this afternoon. But some sermons can be very long and boring. But some sermons can be like Tabasco sauce. Ones that are fiery and give us heartburn. And at the end of this message this morning and our time together this morning, I hope that this message will give us heartburn. But the good kind of a burning heart. I want to ask a question of us all this morning. Are you fired up for Jesus? Are you fired up for Jesus? You know, theologians have debated many questions over the years, but one question that they have been mulling over for centuries was this. Why did Jesus come to the earth? For throughout the Gospels, we see that Jesus directly answers this question several times. We see in John chapter 10 where Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have life to the full. We can go to Luke chapter 19 and Jesus again says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. We can go over to Matthew chapter 20 where he says, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. But are you also aware today, in Luke chapter 12, that Jesus says that he came to bring fire upon the earth. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. We're going to begin reading in verse 49. Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 49. Jesus speaking here and he says, I have come to bring fire on the earth and how I wish it was were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo and what constraint I am under until it is completed. Do you think I came to bring peace on the earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other. Three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Isn't that encouraging words this morning? (laughs) Woo! 
You can go to work tomorrow, go to school this week and say, I heard some encouraging words at church this this past week. But they are encouraging words. Here in Luke chapter 12, Jesus is only a few short weeks away from the time that he's going to go to Jerusalem. He's going to be betrayed. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be tortured. And then he's going to be crucified. There was a fire that Jesus had brought to the earth. And he was hopeful that this fire had already been ignited. But it was not yet kindled. So he was going to have to endure a baptism to get it ignited. We often use the word baptism in reference only to water baptism, and that is incorrect of us to use it only that way. The word baptism means to be immersed. Jesus knew from the beginning of time that in a few weeks that he would be totally immersed in agonizing pain and torture, and the prospect of all that suffering caused him to be in such agony as he is making his way to Jerusalem. When we see the words at the beginning of verse 49, when it says, bring fire, it actually means to throw fire. So in other words, Jesus came to be a holy flamethrower. Think about that for a minute. And the fire that Jesus is speaking about of is not a literal fire, but a spiritual fire. He is speaking of the burning, exciting, dynamic presence of God in the lives of people who are following him. And this morning I want to show us from Scripture where this fire, that where it is and what it can do in each of our lives when we choose to let it do so. The first thing we see is that we see God's fire illustrates His dazzling presence. Oftentimes in Scripture we know that God is revealed through a physical representation. Scholars call this a theophany. Fire is the most common theophany in Scripture. We also see in Scripture that there are several definite statements about God. We see that God is holy. We see that God is light. We see that God is love. We see that God is spirit. These are not theophanies. These are facts in God's word. But by saying that God is a fire is a symbol of God. God is not fire. He is like fire. And he uses it to symbol his awesome presence. Remember in when God appeared to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, God spoke out of the flame of the burning bush. Later on, on Mount Sinai, God appears to all the Israelites as a fire on the mountain. In Exodus 24, it says, To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. What a sight that must have been to be there that day. There's something awesome and yet scary about fire, isn't there? Later on, when Moses built the temple, they made the first sacrifice in the Holy of Holies. And God again revealed himself by fire in Leviticus chapter 9, where it says that fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burning offering. And when all the people saw it, they shouted for joy and fell face down. Again, wouldn't you like to be there? 
Years later, the prophet Elijah stands on Mount Carmel in 1 Kings chapter 18 and called unto God to send down fire. And God showed up and he burned up the sacrifices and he burned up the 12 stones that made the altar that day. When John who had the vision of the glorified Jesus in Revelation chapter 1, he described him as as having eyes of blazing fire. So we see throughout the Bible, in both the Old and New Testament, we can see that God's presence is represented by fire. That's exactly what Jesus is talking about here in Luke chapter 12. Bringing the supernatural, the burning, the exciting presence of God Almighty into our hearts and into our lives. If you remember when John the Baptist was asked in Matthew chapter 3 if he was the Messiah. He replied, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I. Whose sandals I am not even worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit And with fire, Jesus came to totally immerse those who will say that they love him, not just with words, but with actions by the burning and purifying and awesome presence of God. That's why Jesus came to earth to bring fire. You remember on that first Easter day when Cleopas and that other disciple was walking down the road on the road to Emmaus. They didn't recognize that it was Jesus who was there. Because they were certain and they knew that Jesus had died and that he was buried. But after Jesus revealed himself to them. Jesus disappeared from their side and they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Think for a moment, if you would, about when you were first dating your spouse or your first boyfriend. Remember how passionate you were? You were excited to be with that individual? You couldn't wait for that time to be together or you couldn't wait to make that phone call. Church, when our hearts are on fire for someone, that means that we are passionate about that person. Jesus came to give us that kind of burning, passionate love relationship with the God of the universe. Woohoo! That's exciting. The second thing we see, God's fire generates unlimited power. There's a scientific field called thermodynamics. It deals with the relationship between heat and mechanical energy and the process of changing one into the other. Your car and my car has an internal combustion engine that burns fuel and changes it into motion, that pushes the pistons and turns the drive shaft, that turns the wheels, which lets us go from point A to point B. Or we could be in our homes and we can plug an appliance in in the socket there and that electrical current, again, is transferred back into some kind of energy that keeps that item plugged in and kept working. But I want to introduce a new concept to us this morning. That we're not going to learn in a science class or in a science book. It's called spiritual thermodynamics. Jesus says over in Acts chapter 1, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. 
The Holy Spirit that is alive and living in you and living in me is the fire that God generates the power. We need to live out this life on this earth. God has called us to this life. He gives us his power to share our faith, to forgive those ones we need to forgive, those who have hurt us, and we need to love all people. But are in our own strength, we can't live this life that God wants us to. That's why Jesus said over in John chapter 15, Apart from me, you can do nothing. But the fire that God has in our hearts and your heart and my heart will be the spark that generates the energy we need to live out this life that God has called us to. In the amplified translation of the New Testament that I read quite often, It says in 1 John chapter 2, but you hold a sacred appointment. You have been given an unction. You have been anointed by the Holy One. The key to spiritual thermodynamics is this. You and I, we as a church, cannot function without the unction of the Holy Spirit. We cannot function without the unction of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We know that a fire will keep burning and burning as long as it has fuel and oxygen. But when it runs out of either one, it's going to go out. Now we know that God is eternal, but the power that He provides for us is not something that we can just take for granted as always just being there. For we must keep the fuel, the fire fueled in order to keep it burning. God gave these instructions in Leviticus chapter 6 as they are true for us this morning if they were written today. The fire must be kept burning on the altar continuously. It must not go out. If we don't tend to the fire in our lives, it will simply burn itself out. And the sad thing is, it can happen in our spiritual lives just as well as every other part of our lives, if we're not careful. A member of a certain church who previously had been attending service regularly stopped attending. A few days later, the pastor goes to the house and knocks on the door, and it was a very cold evening that day. Pastor found the man at the chair next to the fireplace. He gets up and opens the door and the gentleman takes the pastor to the chair near the fireplace and he waits. The pastor makes himself comfortable in the chair but says nothing. In the grave silence, he contemplated the flames burning around all the logs that were there. After a few moments, the pastor took the fire tongs that were laying there and he carefully picked up a brightly burning ember and he placed it to one side of the hearth all alone. Then he sat back in the chair, still not saying a word. The man watched all of this in quiet fascination. As one lone ember diminished, there was a momentary glow and then there was fire no more. Soon it was cold and dead as a doornail. Not a word had been spoken between these two since the initial greeting at the front door. 
Just before the pastor was ready to leave, he picked up that cold ember, placed it back in the middle of the fire. Immediately it began to glow once more with the light and the warmth of those burning coals around it. As the pastor reached for the door handle to leave, the gentleman said, Pastor, thank you for visiting with me. But I want to especially thank you for your fiery sermon. I'll be back in church next Sunday. May I ask the question again? Has the fire gone out in your heart? Has the fire gone out in your heart today? Was there ever a time when you were more excited and fired up about Jesus than you are this morning? Has your zeal and passion for Jesus cooled down a bit? Some of you will remember this. In the 1960s and 70s, being cool was a good thing. In the television show that I like a lot, Happy Days, there was Fonzie. We all remember Fonzie if we've seen it, right? Fonzie was the epitome of being cool. Everybody wanted to be like Fonzie. But to be cool, you had to be disinterested. You never got too excited. You never became too passionate about anything. You never got in a hurry. You were just cool. The problem today in the church is that we have way too many cool believers. We have way too many cool Christians. Or whatever you want to call yourself today. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, we are fools for Christ's sake. But instead of being fools for Christ's sake, we are trying to be so cool that we don't lose face with our family and our friends and our people at school or wherever we might be. For we have replaced the fiery dynamic fire of God for some mediocre substitute today. But Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, do not put out the Spirit's fire. Have you done that? Our spiritual fervor and fire can be put out by choosing to allow whatever belongs to our earthly nature to be more important than the things of God. Things like idolatry, deceit, filthy language, gossiping, jealousy, and the like. This is why God told the people it was a daily discipline to keep adding the wood to the fire, to keep it burning. For if we neglect our prayer time in our lives, if we neglect the Bible study time in our lives, the quiet times that we have in our lives, the fellowship with other believers, the fire is going to go out. The fire will go out. Are we going to lose our salvation? We can get to the point of that. We can also lose the joy of our salvation if we allow things to go out. So may I ask again, has your fire gone out? I heard about a preacher who served in the Midwest. One very cold winter Sunday morning, he had arrived early and turned off the pilot light that led to the gas supply for the church's furnace. Instead, he only turned on the furnace's fan that day. When the people arrived for church that chilly morning, they could hear the fan, but the building was still very cold. 
The title of the pastor's message that day was, The Blower's Still Blowing, But the Fire's Gone Out. Such an accurate description of thousands and thousands of people today. And maybe some this morning sitting here. The blower's still blowing, but the fire's gone out. Yes, we can attend faithfully to church. Yes, we can serve in a ministry. We can teach a Sunday school class. We can sing the songs that we sing. We can give until we're given out. We can tithe every week, every month. But the fire has gone out. I heard another pastor about another pastor who had been in a church for three years. One day he met a man out on the street and introduced himself. And the man said, oh, pastor, I'm a member of your church. The pastor was polite and said, well, I've been there three years and I don't think I've ever seen you attend a worship service. The man replied, I'm a member, not a fanatic. Today, people are more concerned with not being called a fanatic than being on fire for Jesus. We've all seen people who get excited about Jesus and they they begin to do strange and crazy things and we don't want any part of that in us. We don't want any part of that in the church. And so we begin to set our spiritual thermostat so low in our hearts and in our minds, instead of being called God's chosen, we become God's frozen. For we're afraid of the wildfire that might take place in the church, that we have chosen no fire at all in the church. God help us that we don't let the fire go out. Leonard Ravenhill was a preacher who focused on the majority of the mess of his messages on the subjects of prayer and revival. He once wrote these words. You may be little experiences and speak of the dangers of emotion, but we are suffering from a species of Christianity as dry as dust, as cold as ice, as pale as a corpse and as dead as King Tut. We are suffering not from a lack of correct heads, but a lack of consumed hearts. Vance Havner once wrote, God never intended his church to be a refrigerator to preserve perishable piety. It must be a place where God's fire falls and his people are ignited for service. Do me a favor. Put your hand over your heart. Has a fire gone out? Has a fire gone out? If it has, this is God's way of telling you it's time to reignite your zeal and your fervor for Him. Jesus came to bring fire on this earth. Has it been kindled in your heart? Are you keeping it blazing today? Third point this morning. We see God's power eliminates all our impure qualities. The Holy Spirit comes to live in our hearts to make us holy. That's why he's called the Holy Spirit. 
To be holy means to be pure and clean. Malachi says in Malachi chapter 3, But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or like a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. When we allow God, his fire to burn in our hearts, he will remove all the impurities that we've allowed into our lives. In 1665, the residents of London, England, were dying by the thousands every day. The bubonic plague was spreading from house to house because of all the unsanitary conditions. The rats and the fleas in London spread germs throughout the whole city of London. Almost 30,000 people died. Almost a third of London's population at that time. In fact, one of the nursery rhymes that we have all sung to our children, we have sung to our grandchildren, comes from this period of time and actually describes the symptoms of bubonic plague. Ring around the rosies, pocket full of posies. There you go. Ring around the rosies. The first symptom was the appearance of a ring of red sores. Pocket full of posies. It was believed that carrying a posy and holding them under a person's nose would protect that person. Ashes, ashes, the sound of sneezing was an early symptom of the plague. We all fall down. The infected person dies. The plague was so bad, experts tell us, that the entire population would have died if it hadn't been for September 2nd, 1665. It was the date of the Great Fire of London. It broke out and burned uncontrollably for five days straight. Most of the structures in London at that time were wooden. And almost the entire city was brought to ashes. But when the fire finally died, the people soon discovered that many of the rats and the fleas had been killed in the fire. And the epidemic of the plague was stopped. For you see, the fire cleansed the city of that impurity that was killing All the people. Church, that's exactly what God's fire can and will do in our lives if we allow him to do it. God's holy fire is a purifying and cleansing flame. Sometimes the fire of God comes into our lives and removes impurities that we might not even be aware that are in our lives. If you've been through a firing time in your life, You know it's not that pleasant of an experience. Or maybe this morning you're going through a refining fire experience right now. And you're wondering, God, is the fire ever going to stop? Is the burning ever going to stop? God is like a refiner's fire today. And we must remember that he loves us and he knows just how much we need to be cleansed from the inside out of all impurities. James Gray wrote a song called The Refiner's Fire. It goes like this. God sat by a furnace of seven whole fold heat 
as he placed in his precious ore, and closer he bent with a loving gaze. As he heated it more and more, he knew he had ore that could stand the test, and he wanted the finest of gold to mold as a crown for the king to wear, set with gems of a price untold. He laid us as gold in the burning fire, though we were sure we would have told him no. And he watched the dross that we had not seen, and it melted and passed away. And our gold grew brighter and yet more bright, but our eyes were so dim with tears, we saw but the fire, not the master's hand. And questioned with anxious fears, but he waited there with a watchful eye, With a love that is strong and sure and his gold did not suffer a bit more heat than was needed to make it pure. If God is taking us through the preferring fire right now, we cannot resist him. We must only trust in him and allow him to use his fire to get rid of the things in our lives that keep up from being pure in his sight. Fourth thing we see is that God's fire captivates the attention of people. Like I said, fire is fascinating. People like to watch fires being fought. There's a story about an oil well in the south that was burning out of control. The fire departments were unable to get close enough to put the fire out and it was burning all away. And the owner of the well offered $50,000 to any department that could put it out. A few minutes later, an old fire truck from a volunteer fire department from around the area came barreling by all the other big trucks and rolled to a stop right in front of the burning well. The volunteer firefighters were screaming and yelling as they jumped out of the old truck. They took the hoses and they hosed each other down and they proceeded to put out the fire. When the fire was out, the well owner approached the fire chief and handed him a check for $50,000. He said, congratulations, but may I ask, what are you going to do with the money? The chief, who could barely stand after fighting that fire, said, I'm going to use this money and fix the brakes of that stupid truck. You know, there's something about fire we must not forget. When something is on fire, people come out to watch it burn. There was once a fire that broke out at a church. As the fire trucks came and to fight the fire, hundreds and hundreds of people came from the neighborhood and the city to watch it burn. As the pastor of the church stood there, he said, more folks showed up to watch our church burn than has ever come to worship with us. He said, I guess the lesson is this. When you have a church that's really on fire, people will come to watch it burn. For you know, that's exactly what happened on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. A group of followers of Jesus got on fire for Jesus and the crowds came and they checked out what was going on that day. And in Acts chapter 2, it says, when the day of Pentecost came, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, amazed and perplexed. They asked one another, 
What does this mean? God gave each believer a little flame that day. And when the people in Jerusalem heard what was happening, they came to check out the fire. And it says about 3,000 people were added to their number that day. We can go to Acts chapter 4 a little bit later. The same thing happens again. The Holy Spirit comes upon the men and women. And again, this time 5,000 people came to check out what was burning. Charles Spurgeon would always give this advice to every young preacher that came through his classes. He said to them, build a fire in the pulpit and people will come to watch it burn. I want Carruthers Nazarene Church to be a church on fire for Jesus. I hope we won't be known as a church with that pastor. Or we won't be known for something negative that has happened way back in the past. I pray that we will be known as a church on fire for Jesus. Because when we're a church on fire for Jesus, people will come and watch us burn. Are we a church on fire? No, we're not. Not really. We're an extremely warm church. But the warmth of friendship is not the whole, it's not the same as the holy fire of God. For I fear too many of us are content to set our spiritual thermostats on low so we can control what the Holy Spirit does. For we are more interested in being those cool Christians rather than being on fire for Jesus. For you know, God does not light churches. He lights individuals. We saw that at Pentecost, each believer had his own little fire upon them, and they put them together, and they had a church on fire. Carruthers Nazarene Church will be a be a church on fire. When I get more on fire for Jesus and each one of us gets on fire for Jesus and we bring our fires together. And then just like the old song that I sung as a kid, Lord is of old at Pentecost. Thou didst thy power display with cleansing, purifying flame. Descend on us today. Lord, send the old time power, the Pentecostal power, that floodgates of blessing on us throw open wide. Lord, send the old time power, the Pentecostal power, that sinners be converted and thy name be glorified. Did you know that we can tell when someone is on fire for Jesus? Because God's fire radiates through His servants, His followers, His people. Once God's fire is lit on our hearts, we can't keep it a secret. I remember being at a church camp out when I was a kid. We were roasting hot dogs. Over the big fire. We would put those pokers in that fire. Just so we can see what they would look like when they got really hot. And those pokers got really red hot. With white around the red. And when we pulled it out of the fire, it was a sight to be seen. 
The same thing will happen to each one of us. When we are filled with the fire of God, we will be literally glowing red hot with love for others because of Jesus. In Exodus chapter 34, Moses met with God the second time up at Mount Sinai. His face was radiant because he had spoken with God. We see in Acts chapter 7 when Stephen, the first Christian martyr, stood before the Sanhedrin and he declared that they had murdered the Son of God. And they began to pick up stones, getting ready to kill him. But before he died, those who were there said it looked like his face had seen the face of an angel. When we have this fire in us, we can't keep it inside. Jeremiah wrote in Jeremiah 20, His word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it. Indeed, I cannot. John Wesley was kicked out of the Anglican church because he was so radical. He preached out in the fields instead of the church buildings. We are told that John Wesley was only 4 feet 11 inches, but he shook a continent for Jesus. There was one time he was preaching to a crowd out in the field, and a group of thugs were there, and they were going to beat him up because they didn't like what he was preaching. Wesley didn't stop. He kept preaching. And in the middle of the message, these men come around with clubs and sticks ready to beat him. He kept on preaching. And all of a sudden, the leader of that group stopped and said to his men that were around him, Look, he glows, he glistens. And they dropped their clubs and they sat down and they listened to what Wesley had to say that day. And they were saved at the end of his message. Let me ask us again. Has the fire gone out in our hearts? Has a fire gone out in our hearts? Are you known as a glowing witness outside the church? Or are you more concerned with being cool than being red hot for Jesus? Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy, For this reason, I remind you, to fan into the flames the gift of God which is in you. Have you ever gotten up in the morning, and I didn't get up early this morning enough to do it, while camping and all you see is the gray ashes there in the fire pit, and but you get a poker and you start poking around and you begin to stir those ashes around and soon there's the fire begins to burn again. I wonder if that's what some of us need this morning. You need to stir up those ashes within yourself. You become cold, but but God today wants to reignite the fire within you to stay pure, to stay holy, to be the kind of follower that Jesus wants. When Solomon dedicated the temple in Jerusalem, God came down in fire. In 2 Chronicles 7, when Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. When all the people saw, 
the fire coming down, and the glory of the Lord, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground, and they worshipped and gave thanks to God, saying, He is good, His love endures forever. In the Old Testament, God had a temple for His people. Today, God has a people for His temple. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And maybe this morning, you're feeling what 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says, that you're hard-pressed on every side. You're perplexed. You're persecuted. You're struck down. But church, we don't have to be. We don't have to be crushed. We don't have to be in despair. We don't have to be abandoned. We don't have to be destroyed today. Or maybe your fire has gone out. Or maybe this morning there's just a little flicker of light. I'm going to ask you if you stand this morning and bow your heads. Yes, sir. Amen. I can't do the things I did ten years ago. But I still love the Lord. Amen. And I want to serve him to the best of my ability. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Marion. Let's bow our heads this morning. And in the quietness of this morning, I wonder if someone would say, Pastor. I'm not on fire for Jesus. But I want to be on fire again for Jesus. Because he loves me so much. But I've allowed my flame to go out. Or just flicker a little bit. If you're one of those people, I just want you to raise your hand and put it back down. Thank you for those showing of hands. And maybe you didn't raise your hand, but you're still in that group. It's just a little flicker. The flame's about to go out. If you're truly serious about raising your hand and getting that fire back in your heart and in your life, I'm going to ask you if you'll come and make your way to the altar of prayer this morning. I'm going to ask that you will come and you will kneel at the altar. Maybe you need to sit on the front pew because it's hard to kneel. Whatever you need to do, you need to come and you need to cry out to God and to rekindle the flame that we have, that we desire. Oh, Lord, I come, we come today on bended knee, Lord. We come standing in your presence. We come sitting in your presence. 
Lord, there is no hiding from you. You know all about us. You know where that flame is. You know if it's cold or burning. And Lord, we need to deal with business today. Each and every one of us this morning must choose afresh and anew for your Spirit's power to come upon us and in us. So Lord, I pray this morning with the unction that you have given us